Amen. You guys can grab a seat. So thankful for our church this morning and uh, just loving um, the baptisms we saw in this service, the baptisms we saw last service, and uh, just just really reflecting this week on just all the things that God's doing in and through our church. Um, Christ Church Institute under um, uh, Dylan Shaw's leadership. It's been great to see our church gathering together, getting trained up kind of Monday through Wednesday night with some different classes that have been happening here. And uh, two weeks ago, um, you know, over 70 students on a student ministry retreat. Uh, last week, over 60 women on our women's retreat. And uh, just, just great to see the leadership that's coming out of those ministries, the, the support and excitement that um, is, is around uh, the people of that are involved in those ministries getting to a place where they're focusing on Jesus, getting their heart right before the Lord, and just really, really thankful. And um, this morning I got a <clears throat> kind of a key leadership announcement. Um, before we jump into Habakkuk, uh, we have been working uh, to kind of establish some uh, a more strength in our deacon team, and uh, this morning I'm putting four deacons in front of our church family. Their pictures are up on the screen. Uh, Jim Rosine, uh, Craig Howell, Shane Cowan, and Roger Rake, and uh, we've walked through a process of evaluation and training uh, deacons at our church, just so you know if you come from a church, you're like, we had deacons. Well, let me just make sure you understand that deacons here are uh, men who have a, a specific area in which um, they feel the calling to serve our church in. And uh, the practical areas in which deacons serve are things like facilities, finances, benevolence, or um, even others that we uh, believe God could lead us to over time. Um, it's also important to know that there are essential character qualifications for a deacon, as is described in 1 Timothy, Timothy 3. And within that passage, there's a call for them to be tested. And so, in an effort to be faithful to scriptures, um, we uh, put these men in front of our church, and we just encourage our church to respond that if there's any concerns regarding these men as deacons, uh, we want to encourage you to go to them or to me or one of the other elders and, uh, and share that. We want to be uh, faithful to uh, what God's called us to be in leadership. And so these are exciting developments for our church, um, needed leadership around some very practical serving areas in our church. So please pray for these men in this process. Excited to officially announce them hopefully soon. Okay, so sermon time. We're back in Habakkuk. Sorry for kind of the in and out. I just kind of played out in the schedule um, for this, uh, this season. And, uh, but over the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to be finishing out Habakkuk, and that'll lead us right into a Good Friday and Easter. And so today, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 20. You can turn there as I pray for us. God, I'm thankful for the ways that you're... Um, working in and through our church and in and through so many uh, amazing leaders, um, whether it's in student ministries and the leaders that uh, pulled that retreat off or the women and their uh, leadership around uh, our women's retreat. Thank you, Lord, for the provision, not only of opportunities with the people that you're bringing to our church, uh, but just leaders that you're raising up uh, to, to do ministry uh, in our church. And uh, we ask right now, God, for you to uh, prepare our hearts for this message from Habakkuk. Prepare us to receive it. Prepare it to meet us in places where we need it. 
let it um, stir our hearts with affection for you and help us to rightly respond to it by your grace for your glory. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Um, one of the things you can know is, as we've walked through this series, we've been talking about faith in dark times. And um, you can know that when you walk into any sort of dark time, maybe you're in one right now, um, you're going to be pressed in a variety of directions, right? Like sometimes you feel pressed and pulled and wrestling and struggling. The complexity in dark times can feel overwhelming, right? It's like, oh, I don't, even, I don't even know what decision to make next. And, and it's easy in the midst of that to feel a bit out of control. And in the chaos, nothing is more helpful than to slow down, just to slow down. Like if the lights went off in this room right now and it was pitch black, um, if you decided to start screaming and sprinting in a direction, it's not gonna be your best move. Like, like you're probably going to freak everyone out and you're likely going to hurt yourself or someone else. But what you should do in that is reaffirm what you know to be true. Just trust that a leader will either address the lights or give some guidance on how to leave the room. Um, you, you just want to simplify your decisions in dark times. Because we know what happens. All of us have a moment or a story or a situation. We're in a difficult time, in a dark time. We've, we've kind of lost our mind and sort of screamed figuratively and ran in a direction and then sometimes the dark time got worse because of that move. Sometimes it got a little more complex or you added a little bit of time to that dark time because of that move that you made. That's why when I counsel people walking through dark times, when I counsel myself, I always just kind of start simple. Hey, how about you try to get, a, get to bed on time? How about you try to eat well? How about you exercise? How about you give attention to the most critical relationships in your life? And most importantly, in a dark time, choose faith. Choose faith. Like, like, like seek God in prayer and, and get yourself around God's word and around God's people. The first response in dark times is resolute faith. So many things can shake. Resolute faith in God. Your faith may feel shaky, but God never is. And what we've seen in Habakkuk already is that it started off with Habakkuk sort of questioning God in the midst of what was coming. And, and looking out at the, at the sinfulness amongst God's people. And then God responds talking about this exile that was going to happen to God's people. And, and in that message, we talked about how God works in and through exile. In the midst of that, Habakkuk's like, I I'm still not okay with this. Like, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm wrestling with this. And so two weeks ago, we talked about lament. As, as a language that we can communicate to God honesty and honest, hon with honesty and authenticity. Habakkuk laments, and we see that, and so here we come, God's response in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. I love God's heart just to make it plain. God loves to make some things plain. There's going to be some things that are going to be really plain 
and simple this morning in this message. Verse 3, for still division awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Some of you, in the middle of your dark time, you needed just that line in Habakkuk to be an encouragement to you. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And we're going to come back to that section because there's a legacy of that verse in the New Testament. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. A warning in regards to drunkenness for sure, but there's going to be a bigger thing that it's pointing to here. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This is talking about the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Same people. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, and now you're going to see these five woes from God. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who awake, who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink and pours out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's the word of God this morning for us, and here's the big move that we see in the midst of this. There's really two options being laid out. In, in the midst of dark times, the big move, live with a resolute faith in God. It's a simple message, but desperately needed. God lays out two options. You can have resolute faith in God, or you can have resolute faith in idols. In dark times, there's two simple choices. Choose carefully. Let's just hear God's warning first. First thing. God opposes those who put their faith in idols. God opposes those who put their faith in idols. The, the Babylonians, don't be mistaken, the Babylonians were worshipers. They were worshipers. We, 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 we talk about this a lot in our church. Everybody worships something. 
the Babylonians weren't worshiping, weren't worshipers of God, they were worshiping idols. And, and, and this reality that everyone worships something is seen all the time. The Babylonians, what they did is they made themselves idols and they demanded that people worship them as idols. They, because they were now the people that were on the throne, because they saw themselves as God, that was how they could justify treating people in inhumane ways because of their idolatry. They, they dominated other countries with ruthless power. They demanded that people worship them because they thought they were on the throne. They weren't submitted in any way to the true God. They were only accountable to themselves. That's what happens when you're on the throne. You have nobody to bow to except your will and ways. And in this passage, God warns them through five woes. Now, what woes are, when you see this in the Bible, it's God lamenting. It's God like, no, don't make that decision because here's what's going to result from it. It, it's, it's a prophecy of what's going to happen, but it's also a sort of moment of God just being like, don't do it. Like, whoa. And so I love the way that Robertson's commentary, they've used often in this series, summarizes each of the five woes. I, I love the way he phrases this. Look at this. First woe is pillagers pillaged. If you plunder you will be plundered. The second woe, the fortified dismantled. If you hurt people to strengthen your position, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself isolated and eventually those people are going to be like, um, they're the problem. Third woe, the civilized, demoralized. If you establish your people by destroying others, you will eventually be destroyed. Just it's just like rinse, repeat throughout the world. So many kingdoms move to a place where they get off of what God would have them do and they start to see themselves in an idolatrous way and it's just like rinse, repeat, like civilized, demoralized. Fourth woe, the shameless defamed. If you seek to humiliate others, you will eventually be humiliated by the culture that you've established. And the fifth woe is the idolatrous powerless. And here, God is like, what are you doing worshiping speechless idols? Instead, you should be speechless before God and listening to him. And he comes right at idolatry. And what you see here at church is really just this pattern um, that we, it, it kind of almost has become this little, uh, this, this little thing that we say every once in a while. We go, what goes around, comes around. That's what you see here. It's also the biblical picture of, of what you reap, you, what you reap, you sow. What you need to know is, is that here in Habakkuk and throughout Scripture, it's a consistent work of God. God will not withhold judgment against idolatry. Now, now, now before you maybe think about judgment with the wrong tone. Let me be clear here that this is the only right move for a loving father to make. To oppose idolatry is to say, um, I love you enough 
that I would never want you to choose what's second best in your life. Have you ever been in a place where you're like, I, I know in walking with the Lord, there's sometimes when I will choose second or third best and God does not relent. He never stops. He's never satisfied with like, with like you've got that to like this degree when I know that my word and my will and my grace and my spirit can bring your heart in that area to this place. And so wherever there's idolatry, God is working it out. He'll never be satisfied with second best. And what I want you to see is Habakkuk is looking forward to what eventually is going to happen to the kingdom of the Babylonians. And so in your Bible, um, the book of Daniel is before Habakkuk, but um, in history, a Daniel comes after Habakkuk. And so I want to look at Daniel chapter 5. You can turn there. We'll be there for a little bit. But the illustration that I want to give you that gives this picture of the way God opposes idolatry is right in Scripture. So sometimes the illustration's right there. And I want us to see it in Daniel chapter 5. Turn back just a few books. Let me give you the background. Daniel Daniel is one of the exiles in Babylon. So when, when Habakkuk's like, oh no, exile's coming, and he's lamenting about it, Daniel is one of the young men who got taken into exile. And Daniel, similar to Joseph in Genesis, sort of gets established and he becomes one of the king's court. Like he's a part of the leadership because of the way God's working through him. And so he's around when, when God saves Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Remember why they were in the fiery furnace? Because they didn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar thought he was God. The, the, Habakkuk's talking about referring to the character of the leadership in uh, Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was one of those people. So they escape. They're, they're, they're saved from the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by that. He eventually turns to God. Then in chapter 5, there's this new king, Belshazzar. He's ruling, he hosts this party, and it's disturbing, okay? I'm not going to go into gross detail, except when it talks about his leaders and his wives and his concubines all together in this party, and there's a thousand of them. Let's just say they're not like, they're not just playing like a game. It's, it's gross what's happening in this party, in addition, they bring out the golden vessels that they had taken from God's temple when they destroyed the temple, and they're just drinking and having a party with drinking out of these vessels that were supposed to be used for worship. Total disregard for God. Then chapter 5, verse 4, they drink wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verses 5 and 6, a story that should be give you nightmares. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared. You can just write in your Bible, crazy. That's crazy. And wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lamp stand so that everyone could see it. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed to white. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king then is a res in response tries to get, he's like, what do I do? I, I got to figure out what, what just got written on the wall. And he's kind of panicking, right? Like his knees are knocking together. Like he's scared. And so he goes and he tries to get his magicians and astrologers to try to, hey, can you interpret this? They fail. 
Then the queen remembers that Daniel could interpret dreams. She brings him in, and here's his response, starting in verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Do you notice that? God's in control. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, notice, when you deal proudly, it means you're on the throne. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was humiliated. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart though you knew all this. It's convicting in places where we know some things but yet have not yet humbled our hearts. Verse 23. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and has brought it to an end. Here it is, guys. All that's being prophesied in Habakkuk is, is coming to fulfillment right here in Daniel. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. The idea here is justice. Like the, the justice has been weighed, you're not on the wrong side of it. You're not on the right side of it, I mean. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And most interpreters say at this point, what he was trying to do is he was like, well, maybe if I can give Daniel some honor, maybe I'll avoid the judgment. Isn't that wrong? Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Well, what you need to understand about this, church, is that this is the judgment that God said would come, that God's people were waiting for. And literally as they're having this party with all of their leaders, what most refer to as an ancient orgy if you want to rightly understand it. And the moment that they're doing that, pulling out all of the cups from God's temple, drinking from them, having this drunken party, the same time that was happening, the Medes are entering the city about to take it. And literally that night, they take the king out. So as, as the hand is being written, as Daniel's being brought, the kingdom is literally in the process of falling. And into the, in the midst of this, you just realize that exactly what God predicted in Habakkuk for Babylon happened. They were pillaged, they were dismantled, they were demoralized, they were defamed and left powerless. God opposes those who put their faith in idols. It's the same... For anyone today who puts their faith in idols, 
God promises opposition. And like I said before, let me be certain that it's out of God's love for us that he opposes our faith in idols. And every culture at every point in history has always had their idols. Brad Bigney's book, A Gospel a Treason, we've used this uh, definition a lot for idolatry. Here it is again. An idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. And so in our culture, in our world, there's certainly idolatry, five most common idols. First, self. Self, we, just like the Babylonians, can put ourselves on the throne. Oftentimes when we start to speak in language that starts with my, my plans, my wants, my desires, my dreams, I'll do what I want, my decision, it's a good sign that uh, you have moved to the throne, you've kicked your feet up, gotten yourself a bit too comfortable. God will oppose that. Pleasures, substances, sex, sources of satisfaction forbidden by God. In the Psalms, it's really clear God wants to be the author and the giver of all pleasures. He says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. So don't don't think God's withholding pleasure. The problem is, is we're going to other hands to try to find that pleasure. And that pleasure doesn't last. It's not forevermore. It's temporary. Pleasures, relationships, approval, dependence on, on other people and their, their view of me and, and how I feel. And some of you have been living under the idolatry of an authority figure that you've put on the throne speaking over your life for way too long. And the way you think about yourself has been determined by, by what they said or what they didn't say in your past. And you carry that baggage forward in your life. And, and because you continue to give them the throne of your heart. It's idolatry. It can exist in marriages. It can exist in parenting, in a family. It can exist in a church. Our approval and dependence comes from God alone. He's the only one that deserves the throne of our hearts. Money can become an idol, can become a basis for security. There's never enough. Fame can be an idol. Make a name for yourself. Seek your own glory. The list could go on and on and on. This only touches the surface. Some writers have said that the human heart is an idol factory. It's like left to our own, the deceitfulness of our heart and our flesh, we just seem to produce idol after idol after idol. Sometimes we dress it up in like Christian clothing and we're like, oh, it's, this, is, this is good. And it's really just another thing that I put on the throne of my heart. We have to avoid this, ch- this choice. So often we find ourselves worshiping idols and it's never good. And so we, we don't want to mess with idolatry where it's, it, it's happening in our lives. And it's happening, it happens in my life just like yours. There's moments every day where I choose to worship something besides God. And that decision never turns out well. And it might just be a moment. It might be, I want to win in this moment in an argument. And then at the end, I'm like, I didn't win. I lost big time. We both lost. We all lost. What we do with idolatry is we repent of it. Find idolatry in your life and repent. Some of the reason why dark times endure in our lives is because we're not repenting of idolatry. We're like, yeah, yeah, God, I want that on the throne and you on the throne. And God's like, no, not happening. 
So sometimes dark times get worse because of idolatry. And we wonder why the, the, the reality of what we're feeling and the pain that we're feeling seems to endure. Because God opposes those who put their faith in idols. And this is a choice we can make. It's not a smart one. There's a better choice. So let's hear God's warning and then let's turn from idolatry, return to worshiping God alone. And that leads to the better choice. Number two, God gives grace to those who put their faith in him. God gives grace to those who put their faith in him. When we rightly understand the character of God and then we understand the gospel and what he's given us in Jesus, like there's just nothing more compelling than that option. But church, that, that decision we face consistently day in and day out. It's short and simple. He says it here back in Habakkuk. I mean, it's, it's right there in verse four. He's like, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Because his soul is, is given to idolatry, but, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Th- this, is, this is a resolute faith, is not a, a faith that only appears at random different moments in my life, but I live by my faith. It is a resolute commitment that's guiding every part of my life. And so my faith moves are not these isolated places in my life. Faith moves are consistent trajectory of my life. Resolute, unmoving, right in the middle of dark times. My eyes are on the constancy and security of God ruling and reigning. And what I'm doing and my posture in that is that I'm bowing, I'm waiting patiently, knowing that God never delays. Never delays. And so I'm waiting on him. Dependent, remaining in this posture, discovering again and again as I have imaginably in in unimaginable ways uh, of God's glorious grace that's been shown again and again and again right in the midst of that. See, this phrase, the righteous shall live by his faith, it has a rich New Testament legacy. It's like Old Testament prophecy, like you see it in Habakkuk, but then it's got this New Testament reality again and again. It's quoted in three New Testament books. First, in Romans 1, verse 17, and, 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 and Paul only builds off that as you get into Romans 2 and Romans 3. Galatians 3, 11, when Paul again is establishing uh, what an authentic faith looks like, he comes back to this. And then in Hebrews 10.38, church, faith is what brings salvation. It's what brings righteousness from God, redemption, sanctification, all other blessings come because of this commitment to a resolute faith. All parts of God's grace to us, though, are made possible because of what Christ accomplished. And so it's by Christ alone, by faith alone. And we're called to live by faith for a reason. So, so for this illustration, to give us a picture of this, I'm actually going to go to Hebrews 10. And, um, because the reality of faith and how it brings sort of this hope and, and how we're encouraged in dark times to, to continue to stand faithful with a resolute faith is seen so clearly in Hebrews 10. If you uh, know anything about Hebrews, you know that in Hebrews, the writer is speaking to um a dispersed church because of persecution. 
So they're spread out and they feel alienated and isolated and many of them have faced um, extraordinary suffering and resistance and persecution. And the writer of Hebrews outlines how Jesus came to give his life as the perfect and sufficient sacrifice and that through his sacrifice he invites us to draw near with full assurance of faith. Then he warns those who continue, uh, to, who know the truth, but continue to sin deliberately. He warns them that they'll face judgment. Very similar to what you see in Habakkuk, where he's like, you knew better. Like, you knew better, and you see it again in, in Daniel. He calls them to a better choice, and so look with me. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll have it up on the screens for you also, starting in verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yeah, we just look in Old Testament history that there was this like, guy Habakkuk and he, pred- he predicted that then what happened in Daniel happened. So yeah, that's true. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, particularly one who's opposing you. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now what he's referring to here is that oftentimes in in prisons, particularly in ancient prisons, like people weren't treated, they they weren't like really trying to keep them alive. They oftentimes starved the prisoners to the verge of death. And and what would happen is, is that Christians would come and actually provide food and resources to the prisoners, like a phenomenally compassionate move. But they got maligned for doing that, and many of them had their own houses plundered because of it. But they're like, you did that because you knew yourselves, had a, you knew you had a better possession and an abiding one in heaven. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence. Confidence is important in dark times, which has a great reward. For you have, no, for if you have need of endurance, also very important. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And look, here it is, Habakkuk, referenced in Hebrews. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Now he's not, he's not talking here about, about coming out of exile in Babylon. He's now taking the prophecy from Habakkuk, and he's saying, hey, you're in exile in this world, and he will come again, now referring to Jesus Christ, and he will not delay Then verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Guys, Hebrews is raising the same exact option, the two choices that you see in Habakkuk. You can worship idols and shrink back and be destroyed, or you can step forward and be those who have faith and find preservation for their souls. This, this is why, this is one of the places I would go if anybody tries to communicate to me some sort of like, well, I'm just kind of a Christian because I come on Sundays to church. There's no space for this sort of like culturally I'm a Christian. Because what you're saying, if you're saying, well, I I represent him on Sunday, but then on Monday, I shrink back. 
But then, then I, I, I'll engage in a conversation and I'll share, uh, I'll, I'll talk to my friend who, who knows Jesus, but not when I'm talking to someone who doesn't. I shrink back. And this move back and forth can naturally happen, yes, even in the, even in the life of a believer. But, but, but what I want you to hear is there's an encouragement here to choose faith. And even if there's a place in your life where you've shrunk back, to, 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 to realize there's something that I'm worshiping here that's not God and God's not on the throne and to put God back on the throne and to step into what you see here in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And in the same way that you choose faith in God or faith in idols, you also choose destruction or preservation. And God's making it plain to us. Live with a resolute faith in God. Respond with a resolute faith in God. And some of you, I have great compassion on and empathy for the fact that sometimes circumstances that you didn't even cause has put you in a place where you're right on that line of feeling, I could shrink back right now. And in the midst of that, I want to encourage you from God's word to respond with resolute faith in God and hold let this, let this passage speak to you, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Why? Because our, the, the, the God of the universe has already sent his son. He's already accomplished what needs to be accomplished for my hope and satisfaction. And right now, in the midst of what I'm going through, whether temporary or maybe for the rest of my life, the coming one will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith and I'm gonna live by faith and I'm not shrinking back. I'm gonna respond with faith, with resolute faith in God. And some of you are right up against it in this, in the dark time that you're walking through. And you have a choice. Worship idols or worship God. And so what I wanna do is I wanna finish up back in Habakkuk and uh, back to Habakkuk chapter Two, and I want our eyes on verse 20. Verse 20, because we're, we're just going to sit here for a little bit before we close our time together. Look where, look where it ends. It, it gets to the end of all these woes. It's got the righteousness. Uh, the, you are righteous who live by faith, and then the woes, and then you get to verse 20. And it says, but... So there's all of this going on. There's people being faithful. There's the woes towards the Babylonians. And then verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The, in the New Testament, we see again and again that the holy temple is no longer this like place in Jerusalem where the Jews gathered to worship. The temple, God's temple, is the body of the follower of Jesus Christ. Like, I'm a temple of God. Because because I've laid down my life and I've said I don't want to be on the throne anymore. And I'm inviting God to come in and be the ruler over my life. And what what Jesus did when he ascended is he sent the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God fills the followers of Jesus Christ. So that now we're indwelt with God's very presence. And we now are the temple of God. Both individually and collectively together. 
And in God's temple, where God's spirit dwells, right in the middle of dark times, listen to verse 20. And let your heart and my heart and our hearts do what so often we don't do. Just be quiet. Just be silent before him. The word to be silent there literally means to hush. And I think that we struggle in dark times often because we, we are just, we're frantic. Like, I, I got to figure it out and I don't know what's coming and, and I don't know what to do and, and I, I need to respond and, I, and no, no, you don't. Before any action, be silent. God's spirit dwells within you, believer. And, and I think that we need to see that when we're silent, is when we can hear and even begin to see what God is doing. When we're silent is when we can look long enough and hard enough to recognize that, man, I'm worshiping some things I shouldn't worship. My, my spirit is bowed, my flesh is bowing before things that are not God. It's in silence where we can hear and see and listen to receive from God. God gives grace to those who put their faith in him. Many times we don't get to this place because we just move too fast. It's a lesson I'm learning in a million ways. We don't live with the resolute faith in God if we don't stop long enough or regularly enough with rhythms in our life of coming to God, the one who has invited us because of what Jesus Christ has done and to come and to be silent before him. And so what I want to do in this service is, this will not be sufficient, not for your week, not for my week, but it's at least a start is we're just going to take some time right now and just be silent before King Jesus and ask him to lead. Ask him through the power of his spirit to do what only he can do. Some of you in this moment just need to commit to put your faith in God alone. Some of you need to examine some areas of your heart where, God is, where, where, where you have taken God off the throne and you've put something else on the throne and you need to confess your idolatry and give God his throne back. Like give it, give it back to him. God, you know my heart for this church and for these people. And for me and for them and for us, I'm asking that, I'm asking that you would clean out the temple. Any place, God, where we are, putting anything or anyone on the throne, I pray, God, that you would oppose us, continue the work that you're doing of conviction, of discipline. 
continue to press us to the place where that idol falls off the throne and that throne is given back to you. Father, it's in this place of silence where our identity is reaffirmed. Thank you, God, in the midst of all the moments and the times when I shrink back and make steps towards destruction, that your grace is there evermore. Even in your discipline, I see it, God. Even in your rebuke, I see it. Even in the trial, I see it. Father, I thank you for the things that you speak over your children, uh, things of affirmation, of grace, of forgiveness, of love. There is a constancy and a security in the truth of the gospel that cannot be found anywhere else in this world. And I'm just thankful, God, that you revealed it to me. And in the wrestling this side of heaven, before the delay is over, before the, the, the time has come, God, would you give us a, a fervency to, to continue to walk by faith, to walk by the Spirit. I pray that you would, in every moment of, of every day, that, Father, that there would be a consistent moving, a consistent choice to choose faith in you. And God, in those moments when we choose to put our faith in idols, would you uh, uh, take and gather and work against us, open our eyes to that so that we might repent quickly. God, for places in people's lives today where there have been uh, decades of something speaking over their life that's been on a throne, I pray that you'd bring healing, that they would see clearly that you were above that, that you've always been above that, and let some things fall this morning. And God, I just thank you for what you're doing, the sweetness of just silently being before you. Continue your work in us for your glory. We thank you for it, Jesus. It's in your name.